Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we're here today to talk about season two, episode one, titled The North Remembers. What do they remember? Everything? Uh, the fact that they, they, they have, the, you know, just slights, insults. Yeah, all of it. Uh, yeah. Every single one. When they when you murder their, their leader, huh. they, they, have, they, they remember that. That's a pretty big one. <laughs> uh, what do you think of this episode? I really liked it. Um, you know, like I said, one of the things exciting about revisiting season two is, as we frequently mentioned, that that's kind of peak Tyrion, and uh, Tyrion is uh, yeah. one of my all-time favorite uh, characters. I can't really say it's one of my all-time. It's either all-time or not. All-time favorite <laughs> character on uh-huh. Game of Thrones. One of your number one favorite characters. Yeah, yeah. As, you know, John, he's an also favorite. It's like <laughs> cherry and grape Kool Aid, um, but I and I, it's he's already like him smarming into King's Landing was really entertaining, it's fantastic, yeah, and just to display like a person who's not had any real power throughout his whole life, like flexing on people who have shit on him was was entertaining, um, yeah, perhaps uh, ultimately foolhardy in the end, um, but but entertaining in in the present. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was also like continually amazed at how young everyone is. Like the Stark children are babies. <laughs> Kit Harrington is a baby. Uh-huh. Uh, even fucking Sir Davos uh, was noticeably. Le- I mean, the, the Game of Thrones series takes a lot out of you. Apparently, it ages you in like dog or presidential years. Um, yeah. But I, I really liked it, and uh, it's it's nice to go back to like the slow build up political intrigues of the earlier seasons of game of thrones for sure um and i think this is a good setup for season two it it shows us you know the rob stark is not willing to back down regardless of the stakes here because you know the the or regardless of i guess the temptation because the stakes are so high right for the north um and it shows you know a lot of the pressures that I I think are going to come into play here that they're setting up with the winter, um, with this this war that's been brewing between the Lannisters and the Starks, and uh, I think it really it sets off at a good clip at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I was to echo your feedback. I was really amazed at how well they did develop all those threats, like yeah. the fact that Je- Joffrey is a handful, yeah, especially right. now that he has supreme power. Like, what are those limits? Like, you know, that scene of Cersei being legitimately terrified that she had just slapped her son mm-hmm. was really great. The stuff that they established about, you know, Rob pushing forward with his claim and um, the fact that, like, I really like the narrative... Uh, the visual narrative of the bleeding red star uniting mm, everyone yeah. under kind of like one ominous s- sign and everyone thinks it means something different. <laughs> but uh-huh. even, you know, when you're zapping north of the wall, away over the narrow sea to Essos, down to everything revolves around the people want- looking at this this bloody comet in the sky and wondering what it means. And I thought that was really, that's really cool. That It really captured something that happens in the books really well, too. Huh, okay wasn't sure if that was in the books but it was indeed okay uh let's start off with the recap we we start with the hound killing someone at king's landing in front of a crowd looks like it's some kind of i don't know gladiatorial duel here um because joffrey applauds him and the next match comes up the the guy this uh sir dantis i think his name is he's yep. late he's drunk joffrey decides i'm gonna make him drink wine until he dies and Fortunately for Dantas, uh, Sansa convinces him to make the guy his fool instead, 
because it'd be more fun to torture him for years yeah. and years than kill him in a minute. Yeah. Uh, Tyrion shows up and he offers condolences for Sansa's father, but she's sticking with the Lannister party line of her father was a traitor and deserved to die. Uh, I'm not too thrilled to see that, but what are you going to do? And then what Tyrion are goes you off to do? begin work. What are you going to do? Yeah. And I think Tyrion instantly sees the situation he's in and uh, appreciates the relative strength that she's showing here. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, and then proceeds uh, to lead his procession of these vicious mountain tribesmen mm-hmm. uh, past a shock to Joffrey and onlookers. So this is um, this is Joffrey's name day. It's essentially his birthday, mm-hmm. and he's he is having people killed for sport uh, to celebrate his name day, which is a very Joffrey thing to do for sure. Yeah, and it's nice to see. I, I guess nice is the word. Right. Uh, I, I enjoyed watching the hound brutalize someone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's, uh, he's a beast. It's, it's, he's a pleasure to watch uh, watch go to work. Uh-huh. Um, I also thought it was interesting how Sansa's still fairly naive that she, like, you know, she's seen firsthand the cruelty Joffrey is capable of to get to a political end or to do whatever, but she's still shocked that someone would torture a man to, de- to death mm-hmm. just just for the fuck of it yeah you know not any, any any legitimate combat not a chance to defend himself and to use uh the king's guard who are supposed to be the bastions like they are the most courtly of courtly knights in the seven kingdoms and it kind of reveals what a thuggish crew that joffrey has has uh instituted um yeah you get uh, Marin Trent and and that weasel face guy whose name I can't remember. Right, and you've got the Hound who mm-hmm. was made. He was replaced Sir Barristan, and Jamie's the Lord Commander. But of course, he is covered in shit in one of Rob, Rob Stark's uh-huh. camps. Uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's it's a far cry from the glory days when Sir Duncan Atal was leading things, or even you know uh, a few generations back when you had Gerald Hightower. Yeah, um, it's they like I. I but on the other hand, um, even when Sir Barristan, you know, if you think about what life was like under the Mad King, he aided and abetted a lot of this kind of type of shit too. So yeah, it's a it's a tough position when you're knights when when you're in the uh, the King's Guard if you got a bad king. Uh, but I, it yeah. doesn't seem like they're that <laughs> troubled by it. No, it really doesn't. Um, the the Hound is like you said earlier, sort of sticking up for Sansa here, um, or or not. I don't I don't know exactly what's going on here, but I, I think the Hound, when he steps in and says, oh, yeah, it's bad luck to kill someone on your name mm-hmm. day, um, he's he's trying, he's using the respect that he just gained by killing someone right. from Joffrey to kind of get Sansa totally off the hook here. And, and the fact that also Joffrey doesn't really know anything about anything, and he's, yeah. a fr- he's very fragile and afraid to be made to look the fool, so his first mm-hmm. instinct is to belittle Sansa and her northern ways, and then when the Hound sticks up for her, it's interesting because the Hound's kind of enigmatic. Like, he's been Joffrey's sword and shield yeah. since the day he was born, but we've seen him allow Tyrion to slap the shit out of him last season. Mm-hmm. So, like... Is there a softer side to the Hound? Does the Hound just like seeing Joffrey embarrassed in public? Uh, <laughs> I think is, everyone is, likes that. <laughs> is, yeah. Is, is there actually some kind of, like, is this a legit thing that, that's known about the land as a curse, or is he just back in Sansa's play for other reasons? I think it's 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 interesting, and he plays it fairly inscrutable. He does, yeah. Because obviously I don't think even the Hound uh, would think that he could get away with just pantsing Joffrey in public. No. Um, it would be super funny to see the rest of the King's Guard try to lay hands on him, though. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Rick, how you doing, buddy? You, you don't know what it's like out there. Hey, man, d do you even know what it's like out there? N no, not really. I've been mostly kind of flying around in helicopters, carving likenesses of Michonne into cell phones, that kind of thing. What is it like out there? Oh, well, I think it's time to find out, man. Last I saw your wife, Michonne, was out uh, following a giant wagon train. That, that sounds pretty weird, but it seems like a family-friendly outfit. I mean, she's got RJ and Judah with her, right? Um, actually, she kind of left them to be raised by... Negan and Daryl. Well, crap. Hold on, let me get my boots. All right, well, Rick is getting ready. Aaron and I are, too. We're preparing to once again recommission the Watching Dead out of mothball status to find out what's going on with Rick and Michonne, the ones who live. The six-part miniseries premieres Sunday, February 25th on AMC, and we'll be ready with our full episodic coverage each Tuesday. And afterwards, who knows? Maybe we'll check out Dead City. Find our coverage for The Ones Who Live by searching for The Watching Dead or Bald Move Pulp wherever you listen to podcasts. FX is adapting James Clavell's best-selling novel, Shogun, into a 10-part miniseries this spring. Set in the shogunate period of Japan at the turn of the 15th century, Shogun depicts the rise of a feudal lord to Shogun, as seen through the eyes of a shipwrecked English sailor. It's loosely based on the real-life exploits of William Adams and Tokugawa Ieyasu. Shogun has already been successfully adapted back in 1980 with a widely acclaimed miniseries starring Richard Chamberlain. Featuring intricate plots, political scheming, complex characters, and thrilling action. This time, husband and wife team Justin Marks and Rachel Kondo try to recapture the successes of the novel and early adaptations while increasing the levels of historical and cultural accuracy that are often perceived as flaws of this and similar works. Starring Hiroyuki Sonata from The Last Samurai, Mortal Kombat, and John Wick 4, with Cosmo Jarvis of Peaky Blinders, Raised by Wolves, etc., joining the truly massive cast required to bring this complex world to life. Join Aaron and I each week as we deep dive into each episode, uncovering the mysteries, the intrigue, and the glory of Shogun. Shogun premieres on FX Hulu Tuesday, February 27th at the two-part debut. Our podcast will release each Thursday thereafter. Get our Shogun coverage by searching for Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Uh, so then we move on to Cersei and the council discussing the food supply of their kingdom when they apparently get a, a raven here, uh, a white raven. Yeah. Which means winter is coming. Winter is right? winter right around the corner. Yeah. Uh, Tyrion shows up in the middle of it, and he delivers the news that his father has made him the acting hand. Uh, Cersei's pissed, but not as pissed as Tyrion when they discuss how they're losing the war, and he finds out that Cersei lost one of the Stark girls and has maybe the best reaction yeah. I've ever seen out of anyone on screen. Yeah, his reaction to then finding Arya disappearing <laughs> yeah. is... And then he's like, oh, it must be hard to be the disappointing child. Yeah. Because I've been, you know, I've been, I've been taking all these slings for years, and now you're getting it. Yeah, he is really just living it up right now. Yeah. Um, and I like... It's funny because Cersei obviously knows how to play politics better than Joffrey. Because again, not only is mm -hmm. Joffrey stupid, uh, not is he, only is he cruel, but he's also very stupid. Yeah, and that that type of stupidity, that cocksure stupidity, that's going to almost prevent you from learning a lesson. Mm -hmm. But even Cersei, it's like a difference of degree and not necessarily kind. Because she's like, you know, there's a lot of serious 
problems facing around. They don't have enough food if for to survive a long winter. And this mm-hmm. is this went this summer's been so long that none of the Stark children and they're, you know, sixteen to eighteen ish, depending you know, maybe nineteen ish, depending on what you believe with those the books for us to show. Mm-hmm. Uh they've never seen a winter. So uh, it's interesting to see the the Grand Maester Pycelle kind of laugh off that as a pet. You know, that's a, oh, that's an old superstition. But you know, maybe there's something true in it. And they've only got five years of food, and that's without a war going on. That's without this refugee crisis they've got. Yeah. And Cersei's like, oh, throw the peasants out. They need to be in the fields. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> uh, when yeah. half the country is torn by war, that's not necessarily like this. This is this is the seed. These are the seeds that are being planted. They're obviously going to come to fruition later on, and, and just like the fact that the realm continues. To have to have the so far have poor leadership like are these problems ever going to be solved and, yeah. and and also it's it's a great way to introduce the Tyrion's having fun mm-hmm. but there's a lot of work to be done right yeah um, and it's not being made any easier by the people who are surrounding him I mean look at the small counts you got Jonas Slint who is a fucking weasel Slint, yeah that's his name you got you got um, Grandmeister Pycelle who mm-hmm. is many things but a capable advisor a, a selfless uh, you know. Uh, advisor he is not you got Littlefinger who's a rat you got Varys who I like also a rat uh-huh. <laughs> uh and it's not great none no. of it's great no it's not uh I, I want to kind of include this next scene in in a point that I want to make um we go over to Winterfell and the Northerners are complaining to Bran and Maester Lewin about the dilapidated state of their walls uh Bran doesn't like the way he's talking about Rob but Lewin's trying to teach him that listening to people is part of his job and this is the the no pun intended, stark contrast between what's happening at Winterfell and the way they're governing and what's happening at King's Landing and the way Cersei's viewing it. Because she's saying, you know what, fuck the peasants, shut them out, we'll be fine, uh, and all of them will die. Whereas, you know, Maester Lewin is counseling Bran to listen to his people and help them. And, like, that that's a uniting force, right? Whereas Cersei is a very much a dividing force. Right. And I think it's it's important. That's what they're trying to set up with the juxtaposition of these scenes. And, you know, you think about this from last season where Cersei told Joffrey, you know, you'll get to make history be whatever you want it to be. Yeah. Versus Master Lewin saying, you might not like what he's saying about Rob, but he's got a point. Mm-hmm. Rob's war is costing the North. You know, this guy sent all of his sons off to war and he's got nobody to prepare his croft before the winter comes. So and those Northerners like fucking elephants. They never <laughs> they don't, forget yeah. a damn thing. Yeah, they don't rem- They don't forget the <laughs> the stark difference in quality between masonry, between the reign of King Eris and, and, and right. now. Uh, which is ironic since uh, he talks about them not knowing how to swing hammer and rocks. King Robert is all about swinging hammers. <laughs> he th- sure was. You think there'd be? You think there would be? Uh, you know, an uptick in the the enthusiasm for hammer use throughout the realm, especially with all the Celebrity. bastards he's got out there. Oh, yeah, I mean, get those bastards to work yeah. swinging hammers. Yeah, they're going to be able to swing hammers left, right, and center. A little too young yet. Uh, okay, we go to Bran who has nah, a vision. Gendry. Gendry's already got. He's already got that. Got the hammer down. Just send, sure. send him up to this guy. He'll, he's he's heading north anyway. Have him set the, the, this guy's windmill or whatever straight. And he'll there be you fine. go. I, I like that. I approve of it. Uh, so Bran has a vision of uh, seeing a comet as a wolf and looking into a pond to see its reflection. And he has Hodor take him out there. Um, and as they go out, Asha and Bran discuss what kind of omen this comet might be. Asha thinks it's a dragon, but Bran says, oh, they've been dead for centuries. And then we get a smash cut, which we'll talk about here in a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything to say about this scene? 
Uh, no, I just, again, this is the first sight of the comet, right. and, you know, there's a lot of prophetic significance. Um, a lot of people think that comets are bad omens, especially red ones, because, you know, it does kind of look like a bloody scimitar in the sky. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. Also, there's a lot of prophecies involving, you know, promised princes and, and heroes that uh, a bleeding star is one of the things that are supposed to herald this. So hmm. it's it's certainly an interesting omen. It's also, you know... Bran is talking shit about Asha, but Asha's a wildling, and they're a little bit closer to nature, and we know for a fact that dragons are now in the world. Yeah, So, right. uh, is it a casual or a causal uh, relationship? <laughs> that remains to be seen. Yeah, so we smash cut over to Essos. It's not really smash cut. It's a nice, elegant cut. You yeah. know, they go up to the sky, and they see the comet, and suddenly we're over in Essos, where Danny and her followers are marching through the desert. They're running out of food and water, and then Danny's horse dies. So she decides, I'm going to send three riders in three directions looking for any hope whatsoever. And she gives one of the riders a final send-off, which, if I'm the other two actors, I'm a little pissed. Because, yeah. look, I, all three of us are pr- likely going off to our deaths. It's like, am I a blood rider or am I not? Come <laughs> right. on. What the hell? Someone's more blood rider than me? Come- I don't want this guy to be my stand-in on screen. <laughs> C- come give me a send-off. You can't, you can't give him all speaking lines, and you have to pay him scale. Yeah. Uh, so I guess they're they're marching through the Red Waste, I guess is what it's called. Yeah. Which is an extended uh, strip of desert. You got uh, it. Going across Essos. You got it. Um, I like the comment the it's I, there's a couple other crises here. Not, they're running out of food and water. Uh, you'll recall that um, most of Danny's Kalasar, the strength of Danny's Kalasar was was pilfered last season, and they they're kind of left yeah. dead. So she's got the old, sick, the young, uh, a lot of the women, and she's got very few actual strong warriors. Mm-hmm. So she's the other problem she's got is that her dragons won't eat. She can't figure out why. She's got meat. Her brother is a know nothing idiot. Uh, he knew nothing about dragons, uh, and uh, her and Jorah have a conversation where he reminds her that she's got to be. Her people's strength, because if they see her falter, then what are they? They're just going to lay down and die. What if they see a dragon die, though? That, that's the thing. I mean, her mystique <laughs> is the only thing holding them together. Yeah. So if she can't get the dragon, I mean, there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of like material and spiritual concern she has here. Also, mm-hmm. uh, she she kind of puts her arm on Jorah and says, uh, You're, but, but you are my strength, and Jorah's heart yeah. skipped three beats. But then she calls the other guy blood of my blood. I'm all confused. <laughs> well, you know, she's spreading the love around. Do you think <laughs> Do you think Danny is seeing Jorah? I mean, uh, this is dumb. I'm not going to pretend like we're speculating. Uh, it's something to speculate about, like, sure, what kind yeah. of relationship that, that Danny might have. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's grieving widow. Uh, she's been through a lot in the last season. She's, she's like she's, a twelve-year-old, and he's like a forty-year-old. She's got heavy. <laughs> she's got heavy weight on relatively slim shoulders, and yes, all that, all that too. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh huh. But that's uh, the, some 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 more more warmth than you'd expect from uh, even red waist conditions between the two. Yeah. So I I think Jorah is like, I guess her touchstone back to Westeros, right? Like he's the only the only kind of like person from her homeland that she has available to speak to. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a lot of where their connection comes from mm-hmm. is just th- that so, sort of like if you're, you know, a, an expatriate in another country or something, right. you go to, you know, expatriate groups and meetups and stuff. So you can have a little taste of your homeland. Like you, you love right. living where you are, but right. 
that connection back to your homeland makes a lot of sense. Right. Like I've heard a lot of people that live in uh, other, you know, like you said, expatriates, like it's a, it's a distinct pleasure to be able to discuss, like, like converse in your native tongue. Right. Like you yeah. find someone from your, the old country and it's like, oh, I mean, it just feels good. Yeah, for sure. So I think he's that to her right now. Uh, then the Night's Watch arrives at Craster's Keep. Uh, Ed describes the incestuous situation there. Um, Craster is marrying all of his daughters. And John wonders what happens to the boys, which I think is a pretty good question. Mm-hmm. That's got to be your first question. Uh, maybe the seed is just super strong. Yeah. He is bust out. He's got he's got nothing but X chromosomes. He eschews the Ys. <laughs> okay. Master maybe. of genetic husbandry, this, this craster. Yeah, something tells me that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> he's a real fucking piece of work, though. He sure is, yeah. Uh, I like Ed, like uh, Dolores Ed's, uh, yeah, I was born in a place like this, and later on I fell in hard times. Oh, God. <laughs> it's such a great line. There's a lot of little little humor uh, embedded in this episode. But yeah. yeah, Sam. I guess apparently Sam's ass broke the sledge. Yep, that they were carrying all their stuff on. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's pretty good. So we go inside, and Craster is drinking, and he he gets a look at John, and he calls him a pretty girl. Uh, Gior, fair, fair. It, yeah, it's because it, John's starting to run his mouth, and you you, you, you know how much up. conditioner you use on your hair, John. Yeah, come on, it's not zero. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Craster gives Gior some shit about Mance once being a part of the Night's Watch. Uh, they give him a bribe of an axe, and he tells him, hey, uh, Mance is gathering a huge army, and he plans to march south because it's the only way to go. Uh, Craster decides to let them stay in his barn, and afterward, Gior tells John to learn to follow so that he can lead one day. Good point, because John's being... Uh, he's, 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 he's being an asshole here. Yeah. Like, he's not taking... I mean, th- does he think it's any easier for the old bear to put up with this fucking disgusting crusty crasters bullshit right like yeah. if 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 it if does he think he has less pride and morality than 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 john himself and if he, john does he, he's a fool i mean this is the kind of stuff that he struggled with uh amongst the you know his his uh peers at the night's watch and now he's like getting a little chesty with with the the old bear Gior, and Gior's not gonna put up with it they have they have a mission their mission is not to save all of Craster's wives, uh, and John is fucking things up. So, what is it? What is it exactly that they're getting from Craster that they wouldn't get if they decided to off this guy? I I, I get that maybe that's not what the Night's Watch does. Like right. they don't go around murdering people for murdering's sake. But well, this guy uh, clearly seems like he might deserve it. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like asking why the United States treats like the middle east and other despotic countries with kid gloves because it achieves their other political objectives the craster's craster is a quote-unquote friend to the night's watch because he offers them a place a shelter and mm-hmm. food when their rangers are in dire needs as they frequently are up north and he offers them information that they otherwise wouldn't have he's kind of like a double agent so hmm. okay. um it is a real politic pragmatic and uh morally questionable tactic to to let this guy kind of like operate beneath them but sure that makes sense yeah and you know the reality is if they did kill craster like it's probably likely someone else maybe worse than them would would take your place and then you're gonna have no friends north of the wall also it's it's that's one of the things that i think john i think any any good-hearted person struggles with like what do you do about implacable and intractable evil in the world that you have no power over yeah like it It sort of reminds me of um 
uh, Professor X's character in Atomic Blonde. Oh, yeah? In a way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was like, wait, Patrick Stewart? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, sure, sure. Uh, Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I guess they couldn't replace him very easily. Right. Uh, Also, I don't know if they established this last year, but this Mance Raider character they establish as a former Night's Watchman who forsake his vows and sought glory beyond the wall and is now the self-styled King of the North. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, not King of the North. That's that's Rob. King of uh, some lake somewhere. King beyond the wall. (laughs) Yeah. King of bumfuck pond. (laughs) It's probably frozen anyway. Sounds like he's got a big army amassing, though. Yeah, yeah. According to Craster, which I don't know how trustworthy he is. Uh, so we go over to Melisandre, the the Red Witch, offering sacrifices to the Lord of Light by burning the Idols of the Seven. Uh, some old guy objects. I don't know this guy's name. Master Crescent. Because uh, obviously he died Maester pretty Crescent, early rather. on. The Maester Crescent role. Uh, <laughs> Looks like he's had a few. <laughs> he objects. Looks he like tra- he's buttery and flaky. <laughs> he tries to stop her, but not, not really very hard. Um, and then Stannis takes a burning sword from an idol and concludes the ceremony by stabbing the ground i guess i'm not i'm not sure what that gesture was all about but i think it's supposed to come off as the pathetic show theater that it is okay that, like i i, I think, that worked perfectly because I, I i feel like even in the books like there's like when you when you when you get behind the scene of of the thoughts is like everyone kind of sees like the, the, like you're supposed to feel like maybe because this is King Stannis's uh, introduction. This is Robert's mm. brother who uh, you're oh, quickly. Shit. Is it really the first time we see him? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's like this is the guy. Like we huh. we heard of him uh, when when Ned sends the letter last season to to Stannis, but we've not met him unlike Rinley. And you know we've we've heard like things. Uh, you know, talked about, and we're going to see kind of like the strengths and weaknesses of Stannis uh, in this in this particular episode. But yeah, you know, there's you're supposed to get the idea that like no one thinks this is a good idea. This is deeply uncomfortable and profane to many of them. There's a few true believers, um, but uh, this is this this Stannis has kind of fallen under the, the the spell of this witch woman, and it's it's made people like Crescent and and Craster, or not Craster, Crescent and Davos really. Uh, ambivalent and i thought that was a great line when he kind of gets in davos's face and says mm-hmm. you know uh loyal service means telling hard truths and he's just surrounded by fools and fanatics and davos says what is the truth because yeah. i don't think davos is a godly man so like he might be uncomfortable with the burning of the faith of the seven and uncomfortable with melisandre but like when you want him to back truth of the capital t mm-hmm. it's way too way too way too realist for that yeah and he you know, shows his hand a little bit more when uh, he he's talking about getting the ships and stuff right. uh, later on. And that's the thing. Like, that shows a lot about Davos that he – I mean, this is such a great introduction to all these characters because Davos is, you know, like pragmatic with a capital P. He is going to pick his time and place, but he will – you can tell that he's he definitely hears and understands what mm-hmm. Crescent's trying to say here. And yeah. also a lot of talk about – a lot of backstory about this Azora High figure – which is um, another messianic figure that's related to and may even be identical to the other prophetic figures, like the prince that was promised and the legendary last hero. Um, and, you know, that Stannis pulling the burning blade is supposed to be proof of his benediction, but, again, <laughs> fairly unconvincing. He's wearing pretty thick leather gloves. I don't think he felt a thing. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so we go inside there, wherever they are, 
Uh, uh, this is also on Dragonstone. It is? Okay. Yeah. This is uh, So Dragonstone is where the uh, Targaryens first came to Westeros mm-hmm. and then proceeded to take over the whole continent. And historically, it's been the seat of the next in line for the throne. Hmm. And Stannis is. He is the, uh, he is the, el- he is the s- second in line behind Robert. So the throne is, if it's not Joffrey's, if Joffrey is indeed a bastard, the throne is actually legally his. Right. Okay, um, we we go inside there, and Stannis is crafting his declaration of, I guess, his right to the throne. Uh, Davos tries to convince Stannis to join with someone, anyone, but he's not listening. He he's, thinks he's got magic on his side or something. So Maester Crescent rolls up to Melisandre and tries to poison her <laughs> during a toast, nice. but he, he ends up dying from the poison while Melisandre stands there and just guzzles the rest in his face without issue. Uh Setting her up as a fairly scary person. It's that, great. That's intimidating. It's it's great because it shows that there's some kind of power behind here. Yeah. I mean, maybe she's just got, like, the fucking, uh, you know, uh, uh, Dread Pirate Roberts immunity to Iocane powder. But, like, he, she mm-hmm. is more than just some kind of crazy fanatic. Yeah. Um, and I thought that, again... It shows everything about Stannis, how brittle he is, not quick to take offense, and how you can see, like, even if he is a capable military commander and he's tough as nails, like, serving under this guy would be uh, a, a, a bummer. Yeah. Because he's like, take out Beloved, it's a lie. Mm-hmm. And then Jay, he's a Kingslayer. Oh, but, but he's Sir because he's a knight if he's anything else. Like, it's, it's, just, it's, 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 it's such a great characterization in such a brief yeah. amount of time. Uh, and you see how he deals in black and white, like, Rob's an usurper, Rinley's an usurper, Joffrey's an usurper. They're all going to bend the knee or die. That he sees no gray. And, you know, those type of people falling in, in, in with a religious fanatic can be very, very scary. Yeah, and I think it it kind of pairs him up in a lot of ways with Rob, with what we right. see later on um, in this episode of Rob, uh, how he is unwilling. You know, he's he's they're both sort of making their lists of demands, and Rob's are just as stern as anyone else's, especially but, Stannis. But reasonable, realistic. Like, he's not asking for dominion of all the Seven Kingdoms. He wants what's his back, and he is. wants you to stay the fuck out of the North. And right. then that's, <laughs> you know, with his three victories and the costly victories they've been there, the, co- mm-hmm. the costly defeats for the Lannisters. I mean, they lost Jamie Lannister. Yeah. Um, okay, maybe he's a notch, a notch below all right. Stannis as far all right. as unreasonable demands. He's a hell of a lot more inspirational as, yeah. a, as, a, as a king, I think. Absolutely. I also like the fact that Melisande, like... You know, Crescent has this great thing where he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna sacrifice myself because I'm this king's leal advisor. That's my job as 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 a maester. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna sacrifice myself to take her out." And she she waits long enough to let him know that, "Yeah, I see what you're doing, buddy." And you've wasted your life, and then drinks the poison anyway. Shows him that be, it wouldn't have worked had it yeah, had he done such it. Such yeah. a fucking power move, <laughs> no, man! It's awesome for a dead man. Uh huh. Melisandre, Lady in Red. Uh, did, did they get a new maester? Is that is that the procedure here? Like, old maester dies, new maester steps they in? They will get, yeah, every every great house gets a maester. Okay. by Provided by the Citadel. Oh, what if they sent one to Renly? And we're like, yep, check that box. I think they will. Oh, Stannis would be so pissed. I, I think they will because the Citadel is, is supposed to be neutral. Like in, in mm. all they're, they're they advise and consent and communicate and record. They don't, they're not supposed to in now... You know, mm-hmm. that's an open question of how much they actually, how serious they actually take that because, you know, they're men and they're power hungry like anybody. So, mm-hmm. 
but yeah, I'm 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 certain that Rinley will get a will get a Maester. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I mean, he's got. He would be. I believe he was already the the Lord of uh, uh, of Storms Inn, which is the 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 traditional seat of the the Baratheon. So he would already have a uh, Maester. He just okay. take him to onto a king. Cool. Um, let's move on to Rob. He's visiting Jamie in this makeshift cage that they've got him in. Uh, Jamie's talking shit to Rob from a position of not very much power. <laughs> Uh, and then his dire wolf comes up and gives him the stare down, and that shuts him up real fast. Uh, Rob reveals to Jamie that he knows all about the things Jamie's done, including fathering Joffrey, including shoving his brother out the window. Oh, because that's the thing. It wasn't just Stannis announcing that he's king. That letter was also uh, putting the Lannisters on blast for having incest babies sitting on the throne. Yes. It was. Because he said, I'm not going to make the same mistake Ned did and keep this to myself. So uh-huh. now Rob's got it, and that's the thing. I, and I love the dynamic here is that Jamie is just taunting this boy that he doesn't respect, and Rob uh, coldly and forcefully puts about that he's insulting himself because uh-huh. this boy just cleaned your clock, and you're sitting, and you're 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 my <laughs> prisoner, and I'm fucking with you with my dire wolf, so now what? Right. Um and he also says he's sending peace terms to King's Landing, which we see him writing later. Uh, yeah, you kind of talked about how he was defeated by a boy, held captive, and perhaps he'll be killed by a boy. Uh, I really like this scene a lot. It's the first time I think we've seen a, a full-grown direwolf, too, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. We've seen uh, – maybe not, because maybe Robin – yeah, he unleashed Grey Wind in the Battle of Whispering Woods to get Jamie in the first place. But still, mm. like, uh, this is a very, very powerful animal. Yeah. That you would not want up in your grill. Uh, so next we go back to King's Landing where Tyrion's getting used to his accommodations as the Hand. Um, he makes a remark about, at the end of this scene, about this being Ned's bed where he slept. Uh, I, I, hmm. The Hands have not had much luck lately. You had Arryn who got killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the beginning of this show, mm-hmm. which kind of started Ned off in that direction and Robert to come get him. Uh, and then you got Ned, who got his head chopped off as Hand of the King. So good luck, Tyrion. <laughs> yep, yep. And he's also got Shay, which I do yeah. not like. No, no, I don't I don't really like Shay either. Um, and I don't know if it's the character or the actress that I don't like. I think it's mostly the character. I think it's a little bit of both. I but yeah, didn't really like her characterization of Shay. I just didn't connect with it very much. Like if you if you put in Roz for Shay, mm-hmm. she would be a thousand percent more likable. Sure, yeah. But I just there's something completely insincere about this mm-hmm. uh, about about uh, it, it. Just seems like that for this performance to to, to believe that Tyrion. Would be deluded enough to think that um, I mean maybe we're just at this point in the story because him bringing Shay to King's Landing is as much about the defiance of his father, yeah. And you're not going to tell me what to do, old man, as it is about like a genuine love or devotion that he has for this woman. But mm-hmm. I think that they need to kind of sell a love story between the two of them, and I never bought it. Like it, it makes Tyrion yeah. a, it seem a, a far more foolish to do that, and that's. To, you know, honestly, that's part of his character too. Uh, Tyrion has this weakness. He he wants to be loved and accepted. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's not my favorite scene. So maybe no. we should move on. Yeah, let's keep on. Keep uh, on. Cersei is asking Littlefinger to help find Arya, and they're kind of taking jabs at each other over their affections. Um, and Littlefinger tries to tell Cersei that 
knowledge is power, and Cersei demonstrates that in actuality, power is power by ordering her men to cut his throat and then changing her mind at the last second. Um, and we can kind of see a, a kid watching from the background here as this all goes on. It's conspicuous. It's in the center of the frame, or, or the foreground of the frame, rather. Mm-hmm. Um, th- 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 those are Varys's birds, yep. yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure to I think what we're supposed end. To, I, don't, I think we're supposed to understand that, because Littlefinger kind of, yeah. we did that last last year where he's like suggesting all these people are spies but i think that yeah you're supposed to understand that uh you know knowledge is power because that's the thing is like i feel like cersei kind of proved Littlefinger's point here <laughs> right by like yes power is power but if you like like look at it in the hands of joffrey mm-hmm. it's also self look at it in the hands of the mad king it's it's a self-destructing consuming power unless it's 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 harnessed and i think it's great how they position this, especially with that shot of the the little bird at the end, because it's not necessarily about having the power. It's about how you wield it. Right. And I think Littlefinger is foolish here to start taking shots at Cersei, who does in the moment have the real power. His knowledge is not going to save him if she wants to cut his throat. You're right. However, Varys can use, can be more skillful in his knowledge and stay in the background and hide and use that information. Yeah, you're right. Banding words with Cersei and and taunting. Like, yeah, like she's taunting him, but what does that cost him? Really nothing. She's there to ask him for a favor. Yeah. Which is what you want. You want Cersei to owe you things. And he can't help but get his little dig in because he's he's a prideful person too. And Mm -hmm. she nips that shit in the butt. Yeah. (laughs) He almost he almost gets his head cut off here. Yeah. Uh, so then, but, we move- you know that you also go back. You know, Cersei Cersei started it. That's not something you mm-hmm. should do when you're wanting you know the belittle a person you want a favor from. <sighs> not exactly yeah. clinic that, of how to wield power authority all around. <laughs> right. Uh, so we go back to Rob writing up his uh, peace terms, and he tells them to the messenger, and then he tells the the messenger to ride to King's Landing in the morning. Afterward, Theon takes Rob aside to tell him he needs ships and he can go to the Iron Islands and get them for him so they can take King's Landing. Uh, Catelyn does not like that idea at all. She'd rather trade Jamie for her girls. And Rob decides we're going to continue fighting and Catelyn says, I'm going home. Rob says, uh, no, you can't go home. As a matter of fact, you need to go to the Stormlands to convince Renly Baratheon to side with us, even though he's got his own kingly claim and he's also got an army. I'm... I'm not sure how they settle that one in the end. I guess Rob gets the north and he gets the the throne. Yeah, I think it's the same offer. Okay. Uh, And she agrees and she says, I'm proud of you, essentially. Uh, And there are are three demands here. I forget what the first one is. Uh, You uh, release release the sisters, return my father's bones and the bones of the Northmen, and then renounce claim to the north. Yep. The king of the north. Um, Which I, I think all of those are acceptable um, to Cersei if if she could hold on to all of the kingdom. That third one, though, is the real deal breaker. Yeah. And they know it. And everybody, like, when he says it, everybody looks over and it's like, yeah, yeah. That's the one. But, I mean, <laughs> that's the thing. Like, I think that it would be interesting to see because the only one that's ever been able to conquer the north has been Aegon, and mm-hmm. he flew there with dragons after he had, mm-hmm. had he literally melted Harrenhal, the strongest fortress in, in the entire kingdom. <laughs> Uh-huh. So good luck getting past the neck and the treacherous swamps and the shitty weather uh, and fi- and fighting the North on their own terms. So I think that's that's why I said it doesn't seem like an unreasonable demand, especially in light of the 
outrageous conduct that the Lannister Baratheon axis has been displaying of of late under the leadership of King Joffrey. I still feel like it's a bit early for them to say, okay, yeah, we want we want peace. I think Tywin is a more stubborn. Um, I, well, I, I just I don't think there's any chance that Tywin would agree to this. Right, and also you're right, and that's right. You this know, point. Jamie said as much. You don't know my father, and he's like, well, he's starting yeah. to know me. Um, and he's also making the same mistake that a lot of people make in negotiations, which is ask for literally what you need. Uh-huh. Like if you're gonna like like you should have made a couple more even more outrageous. Like I also want. You know the Riverlands and the the air the area because they've right. been bros with us for generations and we're intermarried and all that kind of stuff. And then Cersei can be like ah, blah, 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 or Tywin and and be like, <laughs> well, fine, you can have the North, but we're in like deal. You yeah. know, if you ask for just what you want, then the art of negotiation is compromise. So you're already mm. going to you're going to have to compromise on something you don't want. What are you going to let him keep your father's bones and <laughs> mount it like some kind of freakish elephant man e- exhibit in King's Landing? You can Landing? keep the skull up on the spike. <laughs> right. That's fine. Right. We just want his femur. Yeah. Uh, and I think Rob knows this, and mm-hmm. Rob fully intends for this to simply be a message that says we're not backing down. Right. Um. More. More of like a just this annoyance to them right that they're they're being defeated in battle and this guy is sending demands and it's it's more provocation right uh so the throne room is getting a remodel courtesy of joffrey he's pulling down all the flowers he hates flowers i guess uh yeah, jo- joff's problem he's just a, it's just a frustrated interior designer and fashionista yeah he's got the soul of like a tim gun like so. a Kanye West. Maybe that'd mellow him out a little bit. But just... he doesn't want to act soft, so he's got to act hard all the time, like right. you know, Tim Gunn. Uh, but yeah, it's because I think it's it, this is a recurring funny thing to observe about Joffrey. Mm-hmm. Look at the stuff he, the details he sweats. It's always about his clothes. Yeah. It's about the look of his throne room. It's about it's it's <laughs> he's he's he, he loves this shit. Yeah, he loves this shit. Uh, I feel like. He... <laughs> In another life, he and Sansa would have gotten along. She's very concerned with, you know, the yeah, finer appearances, things right. and the appearances. Right. And so is Joffrey. It's just they display in very different ways. Yeah, like, like if Joffrey hadn't started, because like Sansa was willing to throw her sister completely under the bus mm-hmm. and her family under the bus. You're right. If Joff hadn't started things off by literally murdering her father and causing her entire family to go to war with him, I could see her <laughs> like just like rolling her eyes at his obsession with death and stuff, but kind of rolling with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I maybe you know, she still had the underlying like you know one of the reasons uh, she she still had this obsession with like you know his courtliness and chivalry and knights and all this stuff um, that I'm sure Joffrey would have offended. But mm-hmm. it might have taken a lot longer. Maybe well, they would settle into I mean a more Robert life. and Cersei kind of relationship. It would it would have to be another life where he's not this I don't know blood blood lust kind of whiny. I I don't know. It's hard. He'd to have imagine. to be a totally different person, right. except for his love of the finer things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. She's uh, Sir Sir Loras would yeah. be a good match for her. There you go. Right. Perfect. Uh, there's, not, there's nothing no pro- wrong with yeah, that. Yeah, no. no, there's there's no other reason that 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 would that romance wouldn't work. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, where was I? Oh yeah. Um, Cersei says that they need to find Arya so they can get Jamie back, but Joffrey isn't that concerned about it. He he wonders aloud if he's Jamie's child, but Cersei says, "Oh, that's a dirty lie. 
uh, spread to undermine your authority. And he presses his luck, and he gets slapped for it. And Joffrey says, she'll never do that again, and then dismisses her. And you think about that like this is just him, but, you know, this obsession turns very dark by the end of the episode. Yeah. Which I had forgotten that this, like, shit, all the baby murdering happens in the first episode of season two. Uh-huh. Uh... But yeah, and like the the portrayal that uh, that Lena Headey gave uh, Cersei here is that she's legitimately like she just realized she stepped on a landmine and heard click, mm-hmm. and like oh man, I got to defuse the situation or I'm in I'm in I'm in trouble. Yeah, and I th- there are a long line of people just waiting to slap Joffrey. Oh yeah, and at some point he's going to get fed up, and I think if this was anyone else other than his mother. Um, you know the first few slaps from Tyrion yeah. have pissed him off. Yeah, if this was anyone but his mother, they probably would have been dead. Yeah, uh, the next person, no matter who it is, might be dead. Right, and that's the thing. Like, it just depends because, like, I don't know, like, if he would talk a bunch, but he does talk a bunch of shit to the Hound. I mean, he calls him dog and disrespects him, and the Hound lets him get yeah. away with it. But um, it does seem like he saves his toughest talk for people that he can intimidate, mm-hmm. like his mother, his you know Sansa, little like essentially weaker weaker people that have no social or political or physical power. Yeah, um, I would love to see him talk this shit to like to Rob Rob Stark's face, unless yeah, Rob was in chains. It's the only power that this kid has is the crown. Yeah, without the crown, what Joffrey isn't a useless sack of meat right just absolutely detestable in every way yep uh he's lucky that he was born into the house he was born into (laughs) he he really is although if he was born in any other house would he turn out i mean that's the whole nature versus nurture thing good question yeah uh so then little fingers whores are learning how to please their clients um both with their bodies and also with their behavior i guess um and the king's guard shows up and kills one of robert's bastards then they go out raiding the rest of the city, doing the same. And they find a man who tells them about Gendry's bull's head helmet. And we see Gendry and Arya riding a wagon down a road. I believe that's uh, Gendry's former um, the, uh, master that he was apprenticing to. That yeah. They were holding his face against the the forge, Jesus. Yeah, no, that's right. And it's, it's just a br- brutal scene. Like, babies getting knifed, yeah. uh, teenagers, getting little kids being drowned. It's uh, it, it's It's terrible. Yeah, uh, it sure is. And they don't like you can see how this is like just politically unwise because like, you know, Joffrey's pissing off potentially little like like very powerful people. Yeah. And just, you know, what he's doing is morally offensive and repugnant. Yeah, he's he's trying to eliminate the threat of more kings, I suppose. Yeah, I mean in, that's, in the that's the whole thing, this conversation about how many like when they're like uh you know, he mentioned you know, our enemies will say anything to delegitimize your claim to the throne. He's like, my claim. And that's this, that his his fragility in the uh, in the shadow of that insult or that threat is leading to this this carnage. Yeah. And he doesn't do it himself. No, of course not. This also echoes like, you know, uh, you know, Rob saying, I won't need a headsman to, 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 to swing the sword. I'll do it my own damn self. Where Joffrey's That's got the Starks, these, these yeah. fucking henchmen and these thugs going around doing all this stuff. And it, it echoes the other Rob, the Robert Baratheon, um, yeah. Joffrey's presumed father, um, in that I think he went around and did the same thing with the Targaryens, right? Right, After he, true. Like, during his rebellion, he, he just he went out and started Ty, killing all... Ty, Tywin did it and offered him to Rob as... Uh, Robert as a... Uh, uh, 
hey, I like a peace offering. Mm-hmm. Like, I know I was on the wrong side of this, but here's the heirs to the old the kingdom. <laughs> they're, they're bashed in brains and whatnot. Um, yeah. Which which caused a lot of friction between Ned and Robert, as we saw last season. So it is a little bit of like like father like son, right? I like, mean a lot like a lot of what's father. wrong a lot of what's wrong with Joffrey you can lay at the the feet of Robert. Sure, like if Robert yeah. had been more Ned, it's you know the the whole uh, Lannister takeover of the throne might have never happened. Yeah, I mean, or if can, it had, it wouldn't have been catastrophic to the realm. It's so clear on screen, right? The difference between the Starks and the Lannisters. I mean, it's just the differences are stark indeed. They are. Uh, and that's the end of the episode. We get a nice little shot of Gendry. Yep, right we're looking away. for Gendry, and we hopefully see him on the road to the king, the the, the king's road, they're, heading they're north to take the black. Looking for both of them, Arya and that's Gendry. True. Yeah, that's true. That's true. They're together, looking, looking for the Stark Earl and Gendry, and they're mm-hmm. all in one package. How convenient <laughs> for the king, one of the kings. Got a lot of kings in the realm. We got what's yeah. our king? What's, oh, our, king what's, what's our king counts? We got we got Joffrey, <laughs> we got Stannis, we got Renly, we got Rob. Uh huh. Will there be? Will someone else throw their crown into the ring? We shall see. Hmm. And also, we got a Khaleesi. We got a queen count. We got we yeah. got four kings, one one queen. But she's she's pretty far off, pretty far off from doing anything badass. I thought there were more kings. So not not so far. I mean, there's King Bob beyond the wall. There's there's five kings. Oh right, yeah. Forgot about Hands. him. Hmm. Okay. Uh, that's the end of the episode. Do we want to do some feedback? We do. Um, however, I don't have any feedback, uh, any non-spoiler feedback for this episode. Oh, shit, none? We do have a lot of spoiler stuff, major- the majority of it uh, cleaning up stuff that we left over from the most recent season. Hmm. So, uh, you know, again, we uh, – uh, I'm at, uh, that's the thing. It's like sometimes I feel a little silly doing a podcast where we try to not spoil it, but I do hear a lot. You know, you, you got to think of some of this is for posterity that, you know – years from now people are going to be watching game of thrones for the first time and they're going to be looking for a good podcast and if mm-hmm. our first three seasons of covers is all a bunch of yuck yuck look at all this crazy stuff that's going to happen yeah you know you're you're sacrificing uh your future audience and i think that we can satisfy the spoiler people by uh you know having a spoiler section so and, and i think it's worthwhile to have a non-spoiler podcast simply because like i said it fills in the back catalog but i think we can do a good job of talking about, you know, the episode in the terms of, like, what is developing here. Right. You know, and, and breaking it down and analyzing it, not so much speculation. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's still important for Just people. talk about the performances and how they're, like I said, I mean, it's it, this is, like, as much as last year did a great job introducing so many characters so quickly and, and so well, this, this continues in that tradition because, like, all, all the stuff at Dragonstone – is essentially you know brand new characters we're introducing yeah. characters that are important to Danny that we you know were not main characters last season uh we're introducing a lot more of Joffrey and his court um so that's uh we got these this you know craster and we're getting to know some of the black brothers a little bit more um and it all feels kind of effortless and, and I know that my first time through this show I was very confused mm-hmm. I was super confused by what was happening in what location how how things that were happening over here affected other things and I think if I had had a companion podcast that was walking me through it yeah. and kind of holding my hand and t- and it had you know the the foreknowledge of these sorts of things I think mm-hmm. it would have really helped me so hopefully we can be that for other people yeah, and uh, hopefully we'll get some more non-spoiler feedback. Maybe not. Uh, it's 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 cool if we don't, but it's uh, Game of Thrones mm-hmm. at baldmove.com if you'd like to send that stuff in. 
again, you can also follow everything we do at baldmove.com uh, and on social media, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, at slash whatever, baldmove. Mm-hmm. Not whatever baldmove, just at or slash baldmove, and you'll get there. So uh, Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. We also have the forums, forums at baldmove.com, if you'd like to comment on as we go through to rewatch. Uh, but yeah, now is the time to get out. If you are a first time goer through of, ball, of, of Game of Thrones, if you are, if you are up on the the books and or the series, because at this point the series is beyond the books, uh, I think mm-hmm. you're going to be safe uh, in this spoiler section. Uh, but everybody else, if this is your first through, time through Game of Thrones, uh, take off. We'll be here next week with episode two of season two. Uh, before we get uh, on to the feedback uh, and then eventually the spoiler section, I just want to mention that if you're enjoying our, our Game of Thrones continuing coverage of Season 2, our retrospective coverage, uh, know that the only the only reason we're doing it is because we get paid as uh, for full-time uh, to work on Bald Move full-time. Uh, and the reason we are able to do that is because of our generous listener support. Yes, we do get ads, but we don't get ads frequently enough to make up the difference, and that's where... You all come in, and the primary way to do that is by joining the club, club club.baldmove.com. If, again, if it wasn't for the club, uh, Jim and I would be mopping the sweat from our brow and going back to our full-time jobs, and you probably wouldn't hear from us again until Walking Dead. Yeah. Walking Dead would be the next thing you have to look forward to. (laughs) Imagine that hellish existence. So the club's important, and it's not for nothing that you get a bunch of stuff. You get you get uh, ad free feeds. So if you don't like the uh, us hawking mattresses and protein bars and uh, awesome sound systems and all this other stuff, uh, you can eliminate that by by paying a little bit a month to support us. You get special audio features if you can't get enough of stuff that we're doing. Uh, there's 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 multiple club only offerings uh, a week. There's uh, access to video feeds where you can watch us record the podcast and other bonus audio and video uh, content lots of cool stuff check it out there's the pitch at club.baldmove.com where you can see all the offerings that you get and samples of a lot of that too if you just go to the site to check it out and free one month 30 day trial uh so you can you can you can kick the tires and and see if it's for you but uh it, it is the only way we can produce the amount of content we do and we thank everyone in advance for their their support for housekeeping. Number one, thanks everybody for making the season seven of Game of Thrones such a success. I wish I'd talked about this last week or even the week seven of Game of Thrones. Uh, yeah. But I'll be the first to admit that I'm terrible at every aspect of this job that does not involve speaking into a microphone. So my own self promotion of marketing. <laughs> but the reality is uh, our previous one week download record for an episode, which is also Game of Thrones season six, was in the 290,000 range. Yeah. And Jim and I, when we were thinking of this season, we're like, there's no way we'll have some kind of three times growth again. But I'll be damned if we didn't get to a million downloads for a single episode in one week for the last two episodes of Game of Thrones. Yeah. It's okay. uh, insane. An insane amount of growth. And I know a lot of that is I've seen people sharing our links on social media. I've seen people like we always do well when people ask uh, for recommendations in the on the the uh, Reddit groups, which are a big drive, um, you know, a lot of the a lot of the success that we've had is is because you guys have been spreading the word, and I, I really appreciate that. And I wanted you to kind of take part, pat yourself on the back for that success too. Can um, I mention another brief success that we've had? With, yes, with the pod pack. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, we're up to we're approaching seventy five hundred bucks on that at the at this point. Awesome, which exceeded the five thousand dollar goal that I was hoping to hit. So. 
Uh, yeah, thank you everybody who has contributed to that. You're doing an awesome thing for charity, doing an awesome thing for the podcasters involved, and I really appreciate it. Uh, and like we mentioned, you know, we've got the we're, we're dividing it up amongst charity, but we also decided um, to give our our entire share of the proceeds, yeah. um, bald moose share to the the Houston the Hurricane uh, Harvey Relief Fund. And I mean, at this point, which I, fucking hurricane? Yeah, do you I mean, it's like I the oh, I my heart goes out to everyone in Florida and Texas. It's a shit show, and this is going to take a over a decade and yeah. billions if not a trillion dollars to dig ourselves out of and it's going to be a lot of work and it begins now and hopefully our little bit can help out with that and it's it's a little bit it's uh, like seven it's, it's, it's at this spitting point, in the so. wind of the hurricane but you know if everybody yeah. did if, if everybody that could did a little bit um yeah. the the load would be a lot lighter so uh you know if you don't buy the pod pack uh, uh maybe you can fa- find it in your heart to to help uh help out uh some, some people that are in need because i last i heard there's like Six million people in Florida don't have power. Yeah, they've yeah. gone back to living like 19th century fa- farmers. It's incredible, and that won't get fixed super soon. No, no, it's <laughs> uh, it's going to be a long haul. Uh, yeah. The other thing I want to mention on a less, much less serious side, I got a lot of feedback about where to find the back episodes because obviously we have this mm. big sprawling catalog of Game of Thrones. The problem is, for whatever reason, some technical limitation iTunes feed. Is once you if you have a lot of traffic and a million downloads in a week constitutes a lot of traffic, uh, they respond by all those requests on the server by starting to govern how often they update your feed, They're like a self protective mechanism. So what happens? Is we'll release the podcast on Tuesday and it won't show up until Thursday afternoon. So what we do during the during the the height of Game of Thrones season is we shrink our our, our episode retention down to fit so iTunes doesn't go berserk and, and stop updating our podcasts. And we do that throughout throughout the main season of Game of Thrones. I believe you said you relaxed that now, so like all I of did, our catalogs. Just yesterday. If you update in Game of Thrones uh, either sometime over the next few days, like all of the episodes should be there. Mm-hmm. Um, but also um, all the episodes I know are on Stitcher. All the episodes are on our, our website. If you search for the Game of Thrones category and use the previous and next navigation buttons to move around yeah. and – not for nothing, they're all in the club feed. Yep. <laughs> the ad-free premium feed has all, because uh, it doesn't suffer from the limitations that the, the iTunes catalog Yeah, does. none of those do. So. And, and, and that's the thing is like, it's not just iTunes. The majority of podcast aggregators use the iTunes catalog to populate their discovery system, so it affects a lot of things like that. Uh, you can also avoid that. You can also get faster updates i'm not sure if people are aware of this but if you go use the podcast subscription tool on our I've website yeah, yeah, yeah. and subscribe directly to the feed instead of uh subscribing through itunes you actually end up getting the podcast faster yeah I've because it updates instantly for the rss feed whereas right. itunes takes a while uh stuff coming out at bald move this week uh Seth and i started a coverage of american horror story cult and it's whacking nuts, man. Uh, Some screenshot. It looks crazy. It's it's <laughs> it's crazy, uh, and it's 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 a lot of fun. We also have for club members are are we're one week behind, but we got our quit quip our quitter pitching, mm-hmm. or we pretend that we're pitching crazy shows with each other. Uh, and then we also have uh, Darren Aronofsky's new movie, Mother. Oh man, that looks like it's going to be crazy. Yeah, that we're going to do as a first run ball movie. That's free for everybody. Our spoiler free thoughts, and then if you're a club member, you get a bonus section at the end where we talk in depth spoilers. Mm-hmm. So that's what's coming out of Bald Move. Uh, again, thanks for all your support. Thanks for making us uh, such a huge success. And let's get on with the episode. Mm-hmm. 
Since the dawn of time, we've been putting clothes on our back that identify us with our people, our group, our tribe. And why Bald Move might be one of the smallest, weirdest tribes out there, transcending all concepts of border, class, culture, and creed, we still have respect for the old ways. At support.baldmove.com, you can get t-shirts, hats, mugs, and more. We have something for every one of our podcasts, or just wear the four pips of the Bald Move logo with pride. Bald Move merch beats running around naked, and they make a great gift for the Bald Move fan in your life. Join our tribe! Head over to support.baldmove.com and click on merch to start shopping. Commission podcasts are an awesome feature here at Bald Move that allows you, the individual listener, to decide what we talk about for a single podcast. The community loves it because it often leads to fun fan-favorite films and TV shows that we've overlooked getting the coverage they deserve. And we love it because we're constantly exposed to great stuff that's not even on our radar. The way it works is simple. You go to support.baldmove.com and you click on commissions. Then you pay the flat rate for the commission and tell us what two-ish hours of content you'd like us to make podcasts on. Then we'll contact you for details, advanced feedback, and any dedications you'd like to make. Then we watch the thing, discuss the thing, turn it into a podcast, and pump it right into your ears. We get consistently great feedback on how much our commissioners love their podcast, and they make great gifts for the dedicated Bald Move fan in your life. And who knows, that dedicated fan could even be you. Treat yourself. Check out support.baldmove.com for more info. You've been listening to quite a few Bald Move podcasts now, but you're not in the club? Whoo boy, you are missing out. Not only are all of our premium club podcast feeds completely ad-free, but we have lots of other great content exclusively for people in the club. There's a weekly lunch with Jim and Aaron where we chat with fans about anything and everything from TV and films, food, fun, life advice, and more. But there's also Off the Clock, our premium podcast where we talk about all the shows we don't have time for on our public feeds. Plus, you get access to our full spoiler-filled first-round movie reviews of our newly released films. Don't forget Instant Take and Talk Podcast, where we give our hot takes and discuss television shows with our fans live and immediately after the episode airs. With mega shows like House of the Dragon coming this summer, we're going to have lots to talk about. Not to mention access to our fun and friendly community of club members with exclusive Discord channels and a dedicated forum. It's one of the best places on the internet to hang out and chat about pop culture. Bottom line, you're helping two regular type guys in the Midwest make the content you like to listen to, which some would say is reward unto itself. Help keep the lights on and the bits flowing at Bald Move. And get some awesome content for yourself. Head to support.baldmove.com to join the club today. And we're back with the spoiler section. Uh... I have some stuff that I wanted to talk about. I think. Yeah, you want to go first? Yeah. Um, so like, let's do dueling. Plot okay. Points. <laughs> Sounds good. So there's that first scene, you know, where the hound kills kills the guy, and then Sir Dantes has made the fool. I thought it was really interesting to go back and see how cruelly he was treated, and how that kind of toward, you know, the what is it, the end of the middle of season four, the beginning of season four, early on in season four. Uh, he participates in Joffrey's death, which yeah. I thought was nice. Um, he's the one who whisks uh, Sansa away, 
um, he's the one who gives her, I think, the necklace mm. that she uses to the or that. No, I think I thought that uh, the lady I think he Lena meets her, her necklace. Doesn't no, I she? thought he met her in like some hedge maze thing and maybe, gave it to her. Maybe I'm not certain though. Uh, I thought he met. I thought. I thought he Lady certainly Lady. had a hand to play in it. Oh yeah, for sure. He yeah. was the one that kind of. He was the Uber driver. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that got uh, a dagger in the chest for his tip. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's a really cool thing. I also in that same scene, I. It's interesting watching Sansa after season seven because, mm-hmm. like, it's hard to be annoyed when you think about how very hard what Sansa is doing to survive. Yeah. And just is kind of an impressive as like Arya's links to go. It's not as easy to cheer for because she's essentially lying and concealing her true thoughts and, and trying to use her wits and what little power she has in this court to just stay alive and keep her head because Joffrey is a psychopath. Mm-hmm. Whereas Arya is directly confronting th- 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 foes and she has like, you know, relatively powerful allies. Um, you know, Sansa didn't have... Uh, a recruiter for the Night's Watch loyal to her father to snatch her up at a moment and whisk her out of King's Landing. And where would Sansa be if she had? Yeah. So I think it's interesting to see. And also, like, Tyrion, when he came in and, like, the look on his face when she parrots the, like, I, my father was a traitor and my my brother's a traitor and I would do nothing against my beloved Joffrey. And he instantly gets all that, that she's playing her best hand and it's a shitty one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I have a lot more respect for Sansa in retrospect. Yeah, retro respect. Uh, and I, th- I think actually, my number one favorite thing about watching this episode was seeing the difference in the characters between now and season six or seven. Mm. Um, it, it, you, I, they're totally different people. You look at Tyrion, right? Yeah, Tyrion has this carefree attitude about him. He's he's almost giddy in these scenes at times yeah. I, I know he's doing something that he thoroughly enjoys which is shitting on his sister right from a position of power and, but and flexing power. yeah yeah right but i i also just notice how good the acting is when when i compare the two because they're very different characters cersei included like mm-hmm. lena hetty does a fantastic job here playing a character who has some power but only a taste of the power that she really craves right and she doesn't have as much power as the character across the table shitting on her. Yeah, you know? and, and this is peak Cersei too, because she is finally thrown off the shackles of Robert. Yeah, she never, no longer has to share a bed with him. Her her children are on the throne. Uh, her father's off fighting. Like uh, other than Jamie being captured, things are really going well for Cersei. Yeah, and you're right. Until both of Tyrion those, shows up, I feel like. And both of those characters, when you look at in season seven, there's a very haunted quality to them. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, they're they're aged and worn, and like even Cersei's not having fun. No, this is not the this is not the future that she wanted. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah great point. Uh, I also liked the Tyrion with his niece and nephew because again, that's something that just came up. And oh the, yeah, the old uh, Marcella. <laughs> yeah, the, before they replaced her, uh, she was supplanted by one younger and more beautiful. <laughs> um, I don't think that's true. She's it's pretty cute, Marcella, <laughs> probably younger than the one they replaced her with. Probably anyway. Yeah. And also, those two are BFFs, it seems. Okay. Yeah, there's no no bad blood um, between the, the two. But uh, the fact that he's, like, you know, clearly loves his niece and nephew, and they, they think he's pretty cool, too, mm-hmm. other than fucking Joffrey. Yeah. Uh, but also, you can't help but think Tyrion, in hindsight, maybe would have done better to go in the King's Land with a little less swagger. You think so? But that's kind of his... 
he can't help himself. His mouth has got you know he he he's 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 hot headed and impulsive and, and rash in his own way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think it's ever a great look to come in as new management slapping people with your dick left and right. Yeah, certainly Ned didn't do that. No, <laughs> no. So I, I think like I wonder. I mean, Tyrion is doomed because his father's going to eventually come back after the war and he's going to get put back in his place. But also, right. he might have been able to do a lot more short-term good if he had been a little bit le- less aggressive and more conciliatory. Maybe, yeah. maybe not. I can agree with that. Um, and then the, the other thing is, how many fucking White Ravens has the Citadel sent out in the history of the show? Like, I feel like at least three. Three rounds? I wish. I honestly, I couldn't believe it when I first it's saw the it. It's three-stage like, reveal of winter. <laughs> yeah, just for the slow. Yeah, <laughs> look, the, here's the, one dove. If you're not getting it, or one raven. We haven't explained this a while, but but Martin yeah. has described how he uses his three-step reveal, or he has clues that he intends for the very sharp and perceptive reader, and then one that he pitches for people of kind of like. You know, the average reader would be able to pick up on it. And then the third, he does like beats you know, like it's the reveal where you just get beat between the eyebrows. So just he doesn't leave anyone behind. Yeah. Citadel subscribes to the same theory. You right. tell him once <laughs> you, you tell you tell him what you're going to tell him. You tell him and then you tell him what you told him <laughs> so that no one's because because I know that like there's this impressive scene in season six once they established the Citadel where you see hundreds of white ravens flocking like oh winter's finally come well fucking winter came and it's start of season two you sons of bitches all of those are going to king's Landing. hashtag fake news <laughs> winter is not here <laughs> ned stark did not know what he was talking about yep. uh anyway and then finally power is power mm. It's so funny how there's a lot of meditation in this episode and like this whole series because because uh, later on Varys will propound him the riddle about the the cell sword the the lord and the the high septon and who has the power and all that yeah where does the show come down on power as power because even in season seven it's tough to tell like Danny has power because of her dragons and her mm-hmm. military might and before she had that she didn't have shit yeah Rob before he was able to now. I mean, Rob is probably the most, like, pure of a leader because he didn't ask for any of these things. He didn't want any of those things. Although, when when Gior put it to him, hey, you want to lead this thing? Rob's like, or, I mean, John's like, uh-huh. Um, so maybe he protests a bit too much that he doesn't want any of this. But, you know what I'm saying? Like, Yeah, no, it, it's until a, he had, still an open question. Yeah. Um, and I guess I find myself mostly agreeing with Cersei in this scene. Yeah, it seems like the show does too. Because I thought ultimately the whole point of the parable was the 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 power resides where people think it does. Yeah, which essentially the the mass of people is 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 what gives people power. Because when they rebel, when they get restless, when they, you know, that then kings tend to get displaced. But mm-hmm. the series isn't seeming to support that thesis. Yeah, and so much of like Tywin's philosophy was ran like directly counter to that, right? Yeah, like. Who cares what the people think? Um, they're they're essentially peasants, and the only people that matter are the lords. The lion the does not concern himself with the opinions of sheep, right? Um, and we saw what happened to essentially the entire Lannister family at this point, mm-hmm. uh, save two of them. So i I really don't know where the show is going to final like finally drop on that, mm-hmm. but it seems like power is power. Yeah, and it's 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 either wielded wisely or unwisely. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I thought that's that's kind of interesting to keep our 
Keep our eye on, too. Anything else you want to talk about before we move on to the feedback? Uh, the one thing that I noticed at the end of this Tyrion and Shay scene is their position on the bed, which is very similar to the way that she dies. Oh, is it? Yeah. Um, they're, they're kind of placed head-to-head here, um, sort of lined up, and we know that... Better than ass-to-ass. I've seen, I've seen Wrecking <laughs> for a Dream. That's a bad scene. It sure is. Uh, yeah, so when Tyrion chokes her with the necklace or whatever it is... Uh-huh. Uh, he's kind of hanging off the edge of the bed, mm. and she's laying on the bed, and they're kind of head to head there. Interesting in the position. Interesting uh, foreshadowing. I I don't know if it's foreshadowing or that's they're just four, like that's season foreshadowing. <laughs> so that is when that happens. It does. Yeah. It does in the season the four. end. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, let's talk about some spoiler feedback. Um, a okay. lot. So we got a couple things that are. One is uh, the first one's about season two. Then we have three, three kind of like meta conversations, and we just get back in this re-educating season seven and eight, which I imagine will happen for a while. Yeah. Uh, Lily S, will you guys uh, please do an official count of how many times Daenerys actually says, "Where are my dragons?" It's my personal pet peeve that this is known as a season where Danny just walks around yelling this the whole time. I think she says it twice. And not even until episode six or seven. Could you guys also speculate why this is a public perception? Is it from promos or previously on? Yeah, as as someone who's seen, I think it's season three of Lost. Mm-hmm. I am immune to people shouting, Whoa! "Where are my dragons?" Like, yeah, yeah Michael shouts Walt six hundred times in yeah. that season. Yeah, so you'll never get more egregious than that, and I'm immune to it. All right, I I think it's I think it's okay. First of all. Last person that challenged me on something like this was Walter Jr. eating breakfasts on Be- 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 Breaking <laughs> yeah. Bad. And we let did me tell you what, they did not come off good. We did the no. count, and it was conclusive. Walter Walter Jr. is is the destroyer of breakfasts. <laughs> uh, we will see if Danny is the screamer of Where Are My Dragons. But yeah. I think it's less the factual nature of it than the fans' perceived dissatisfaction of – Danny is powerful and she had dragons and we want her to go back to Westeros and throw her crown into the ring. Mm-hmm. And instead she is being she's just she's being run around by these fuckers that we don't care about. We know ultimately are not going to be interesting because they're in Essos and, and the Game of Thrones is being played over on Westeros. So what the fuck? And the, those fans need to buckle the fuck in because right. Well, here's the problem I have with that is she's not ready. No, and that, she's not but, ready. Her dragons are not ready. She doesn't have the power that she needs to go over there and kick ass. And I think that's one thing that people that watch the show and read the books eventually appreciate is that if Danny had come, if if Danny had some magically had come out of Karth with you know, uh, army and ships and her dragons large enough to do something, mm-hmm. it would have been a disaster because she did not, she had, she doesn't, doesn't even know what type of queen she wants to be. Right. Right. Um, she's starting to, like, she's got the inkling that she, you know, she's like the, the, like this, this, these are my people, the downtrodden, the oppressed, I would down, but she's, she's not, she's not fully there. She needs, she needs some, some queen training wheels. I feel like they would have done well to cast a younger actor, a younger actress for that. Hmm. Um, if you would cast someone like she's supposed to be like eleven or something, right? If you would cast she's like someone thirteen in the books, I believe. Like Ari is it thirteen? Yeah, and I th- oh. that's the thing. Rob, okay, Rob's okay, she's like, a little older. Rob's like fifteen. I mean, right. all these kids are way young. But yeah, I think. That- but I look at her physical appearance and I say. That's a full-grown woman. She should probably have her shit together in right. season three or something. You're right. Although, really, if she's a, she's a 20 year old 
would she sure. be ready yeah. to? I mean, it, it's it's weird, right? Yeah. But if they cast Sophie, Turner, but if it was like Lady Mormon or something, right? Like, sure, I can get behind that. Okay, she is a young, very young woman. She has lessons to learn. She yeah, has yeah. things. But it'd like, be super to awkward to watch Cal Drogo rail her from behind. In Absolutely, one. So it would. You can I, apply it. You don't I have under, to watch it. I understand why they did the path of aging all these children up because yeah. you know Rob soaked in blood and like all the you know it, it had been it had been weird because. Um, Mm-hmm. Martin's work is certainly more accurate from a medieval perspective, right. but it would have been very unpalatable. It's barely pal. Honestly, it's barely palatable for uh, just to, just to read. Yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But I think that even a thinking, like even from modern sensibility, a twenty-year-old woman mm-hmm. put in this much power uh, and, and almost like a div- like a divinity that she's got. She's got this mystical aura. Like there's just no fucking way she'd be ready to lead. And in no way prepared for it. No. She, she was not she had, given the tools she, she and needed. And she was never – it was never to plan for Danny to any thrones. Right. She was just going to be this, this cow sex slave mm-hmm. that bought her brother the army so he could go and fuck up the throne because he was a shit too. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like I, I guess, again, in retrospect – it all works out, but mm-hmm. I do feel the fan frustrations of like, why is this super cool character doing nothing but getting <laughs> getting ripped ripped off and scammed and made fun of, and the things that make her powerful and unique stolen from her, right. and all she can do, and she had no she she has no power. All she can do is bemoan her fate. So I understand. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's I think it's yeah, it's over. There's no way she says where are my dragons like 14 times. Um, maybe more. It got to be more than two. I don't know. Because it does seem like it was such a meme that there had to be like four or five scenes, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, Carter Y. Hey, Ron, just offering some thoughts on how HBO and the Double Ds could avoid having this climax of this epic series leaked out. We know from a year's production leaks or this year's production leaks that's nearly impossible for them to keep everything or anything under wraps, but I propose an alternative solution. Why not leak on purpose? If there are multiple leaks with both truths and lies hidden in each one, we wouldn't know which one to trust as the story progresses. They could even have one, the leak that was promised, that has everything more or less in order, but the final climax twist whatever coming com- is something completely wrong. Obviously, there's some limitations with this. They would be purposely spoiling some of the season's final biggest moments, but it, it's a sacrifice. Would they be willing to make it? The the Tyrion maneuver? Yeah. The yeah, Canary the trap? Canary and the coal mine. <laughs> That's, well... I mean that's it's what it's canary trap. Yeah. That's 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 what's yeah. You you put out different versions of the truth to see who's the one that's leaking. Yeah. Um, what do you think about that? Uh. Hmm. Well, I guess if you watch them all, you will have mm. seen the real one, right? Right. You won't know which one is going to happen, but you will have had a reaction to it, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, and I do feel like that that's still going to be unsatisfying. And the big problem, like Kim and I were talking about in the spoiler podcast we did last week, is the vast majority of Game of Thrones is filmed in outdoor locations that are public places that cannot be effectively closed off. And people with telephoto lenses are going to... I mean, that's the big... The big problem is when the leaks came out last Christmas or two Christmases ago, the reaction was, no fucking way. But as they started to film on set and they're like, oh, shit, uh, there's Tyrion and Davos in a boat. And, oh, my God, they're rowing off with Gendry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, well, here is uh, they're filming in this giant stone quarry with a frozen lake. Like, people start confirming. And I think people would rapidly figure out what was true and what was not. So you bring back actors who couldn't possibly come back. Right. Like, br- bring back Catelyn, even if you're not going to do the Stoneheart stuff. I dressed stuff. up like, as Lady Stoneheart just so... Right. Yeah. I, I just don't know what the utility is because yeah. 
you were not going to be able to keep the accurate leaks from happening. You're just you're just putting up chafe and like smokescreen, and I still think it's going to be a bummer if there's like five potential possibilities. And you know, all five, mm-hmm. you're just waiting to see which one will will happen. Yeah, right. It's 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 a bummer. I don't know how because. If they don't have the scripts and people are just seeing things being shot, you can surmise certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a real killer when you have the plot points and you can just like match up the scene to what they're shooting and and have ninety percent of the stuff confirmed before like they're they're even done editing the damn thing. Yeah. Um, anyway, and also HBO, no fucking way would they try something that cool and cloak and daggery. I mean, you're guaranteed not to get any direwolves if you do that. <laughs> How? Because the budget won't be there. They'll oh, be shooting right. all these fake fucking scenes. All, the, all these, all these uh, B footage is just right. never going to happen. Uh, Patrick Moss. With the HBO series nearly ended, speculation is mounted that Germ will release the final books after the show finishes, if ever. If the series is ever completed, do you think it's possible that Amazon or Netflix or someone would pick up the series again due to popularity and almost guarantee of a lengthy, well-watched series? Uh, if a reboot ever game? happens... Aaron, as a book reader, uh, which plot points or storylines would you like to see included? And Jim, as a show watcher, which pot, plot points would you like to see removed? Do either of you think <laughs> an animated series would be a good idea? An animated series? No. No, this is not going to be Star Trek. <laughs> uh, man. Why what? don't people take animation seriously? I do I think that's know. that's a big weakness of, in America. Yeah. That the fastest, cheapest, easiest way to do some of this shit is to do an animated series, but we perceive animated series as being a less serious form of entertainment for mm-hmm. no fucking good reason other than Walt Disney made a shit pile of money making movies about a, a mouse with big ears. Yeah. Like, I no, don't, it's perceived I don't as children's it. entertainment. Right. Um, I in mean, America. Pic- Pixar is starting to chip away at that, but it's still family sure. entertainment. It's not like something yeah. that adults just go and watch usually on, on their own. So I, I don't I don't know, but I I don't think it can be an animated series because people wouldn't take it seriously. Yeah, I think you're right, and I I can't like in 20 years is a reboot going to be warranted because the budget would have to be even bigger, um and and would it look dated enough to warrant a reboot? I don't think so. Maybe in like 40 years. Dated, I will say. It well, what do you mean dated? Like, I mean, we, it looks like the budget isn't as high. I would agree okay, with that. Okay, but I don't think like film stock and and cinematography looks dated. I think yeah. in the same way that like you go watch Faulty Towers or something and it looks okay, fucking it's not, dated. Sure, it's not that bad. Yeah. So in like forty years, I could see it. In twenty, I think it'll still be too soon. Like going back and doing the Matrix at this point mm. would be stupid because it looks awesome. Or Lord of the Rings. Or, yeah. Um. I but I I there's no fucking way that we're going to live out our lives. And like Harry Potter not be remade, yeah. I think think you're right. I I think because everything gets remade, everything is like even Star Wars is getting not if not a re. Like who who would have thought fifteen years ago or twenty years ago that they'd reboot essentially Star Wars and take take start up right where you know I guess the uh, us fans assumed they would start up all along. Um, Yeah, but yeah, I I I don't know. Um, But that was like. 40 years later right and the other thing is i guess if there 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 might be more steam behind this if there was a lot of differences between the martin version and the show version which my gut tells me that's if martin finishes they're going to hold very closely to 
they'll, they'll be as, as essentially as 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 faithful as like the season five ish, you know, season six ish, where there was more right. liberties taken because the double D's didn't know what the hell was going on. But like people that think that Stannis is going to live, like I just got a feedback this week. People think that Stannis is going to, you know, be the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch at the end of the story. Like I, I think you're fooling yourself. There's no way. Like, people that live and people that die, people sitting in positions of power, the ultimate state of the board, I don't think those are going to be different. Do, um, do reboots happen in literature, in books? I mean, there's pride, prejudices, and zombies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess. That's a uh, weird reboot of that. I don't think so, because books don't have those problems. Right. Like, there's not an adaptation of a book like you can either continue the ideas, but it's not like the imagine the author's imagination needed to be upgraded, right? You know? it's like, Maybe like sensibilities, perhaps. That, but, but then why tell that story again? Tell a different one, a right? One. And even then, the the stories like you know, it's like like Huck Finn, mm-hmm. you know, a Finn's modern sensibilities. But that's kind of the point. And yeah. it was like you know the fact that it was progressive for its time, and and you got to go with like you know the the, the Huck's attitude towards uh, his friend Jim rather than the fact that he calls him in bomb Jim right is yeah. is 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 the key thing about that so I, yeah I don't I don't think that's a thing I don't think they reboot book series hmm. um, and now plot points like I guess my biggest problem with what the double D's did and it's not even a problem with what they did it's maybe a problem with the the books and how sprawling thing Martin got. You either do Dorn right or not at all. Yeah. Like, in the books, Dorn is awesome because just when you think Prince Doran is this do-nothing, bumblefuck, gout-ridden invalid, he gives one of the most badass speeches and is like, you fools, me and Oberyn were working this to perfection. We've had this plot to put us back in power with the Targaryens and Essos and bring fire and blood. And it's like, fuck yeah, Doran. And here, like, like <laughs> none of that. But here. even then, I'm not sure because, like, I don't know. Now that I've seen it executed, I don't know how you can make the Sand Snakes a great idea. Hmm. I don't know for sure how that you can save like fucking Darkstar, who is not like even the Double D's didn't touch him with the ten foot pole. I it don't could even be the, know who that is. Right, right. <laughs> uh, it could be the Dorn's just bad and needed uh-huh. to be excised. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a couple things I'm going to point out in this season in particular. There's a couple things, the plot with Corrin Halfhand, that I didn't think is as good as the books, and I didn't think there was any reason why it couldn't have been. That's all, all I talked about. I remember in the original podcast I did for season two, I'll talk about it as I go, but I don't have a lot of major criticisms for things that are left out because that's the mm-hmm. thing. Adaptation is all about knowing what to cut and what to not because it takes a hell of a lot longer than 10 hours to read these books. Yeah. So I don't, I, I've never been one that really talks a lot of shit about the double D's. Um, even in even recent season when I have, it's always couched in, but I don't know what they've got to work with. And I kind of pity the situation they're in. Right. Do you have any ideas of things you'd like, you thought shit that you thought was stupid? I mean, the sand snakes. Yeah. They're, they're a perfect example. Um, but you're right. You, you sort of can't do anything with Dorn, uh, without, doing all of the stuff with Dorn, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't know if I would cut that. Although, I'm... pause that thought because we had someone sent in a really baller idea about how to bring Dorn back in with Jamie that we kind of dismissed last week. Okay. So that's coming up here. Uh, a final point as podcasters would drop in the entire series in one day, make a job. Are you f- jobs difficult? Are you fucking kidding? It'd be impossible. I mean, this is... Are you talking about dropping, The entire like... series? Are you yeah. British? Are you British? Do you mean season? 
<laughs> or do you mean like 60, 70, 80 episodes Honestly, of a show? Honestly, dropping the entire Game of Thrones is such a so dense, dropping a whole season would be murder. Yeah, yeah. Like, like House of Cards wears me the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Daredevil wears me the fuck out. Game of Thrones... <laughs> like it would be awesome for fans because you just binged the shit out of that. But for like it just it wouldn't work. We would do we would have to come up with a schedule and we would be ahead of some people and behind some people and it'd be a shit show. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Uh, DJ Hova, do you think if the sh- <laughs> do you think if the show uh, they made the show two seasons for each book and follow the book plots more closely that the show would still be as popular as it is today? I. I mean that's like asking if the sun disappeared what would it, how that would affect the earth's orbit like there is no way to answer that effectively because here's the thing hmm. you're not going to have a live action tv show last 14 seasons in the modern time frame because you know uh brand would be 30 uh they're already yeah. having problems in like the walking dead going into their ninth like if if the show is popular these actors will be in demand and they don't want to be nailed down to this fucking show like True. seven to eight seasons is about as long as you can go without having to make people leaving part of the plot. And you can't tell. I mean, that's why the, the golden age of television is in like the three to five, occasionally six or seven sweet spot. Cause that's how long you can nail people down for contracts and have it stick. Mm-hmm. So I just don't think like, and also I don't know that two seasons for feast of crows would be great. I don't know that two seasons for Dance of Dragons would be great. There's a lot of those ideas that are dead ends, and I don't think are going to be relevant. They're they're red her- herrings or, or world building that that visually it you wouldn't hold. I mean, how do you do some of those chapters where it's like fucking Sansa riding down the mountainside for a whole chapter, <laughs> or or Tyrion Tyrion walking around wondering where whores go for chapter after <laughs> chapter after chapter? Like I don't know that that works. Like yeah, inter- I don't know internal monologues books. and travel and all that kind of stuff. Like people mm. bitch about jetpacking, but some of that stuff's good, and that's 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 what successful adaptations are all about. Yeah, uh, Chriselle, I think HBO has struck a deal with Martin to delay the series of the books until after the show is completed. <laughs> I know a lot of people who love the books first and the show second. If they thought it was a possibility that the books would come out at any time soon, they wouldn't watch the show because they'd rather get the story from Martin. But the books aren't coming out for a long time or at all, they would be more than willing to watch the show. I think, number one, you underestimate how fucking livid Martin's publisher would be if they found out that he was sitting on this stuff to make HBO happy. There would be mm-hmm. lawsuits likes which the creative world has never seen. Uh-huh. And also, you very overestimate the book readers' resolve to not watch the show. Also... You overestimate the number of book readers as well. That's true. Like, to hit New York Times bestseller, you're talking about 100, 200,000 people. Yeah. We're talking about how many millions of people watching this? Yeah, I mean, I it, mean, wouldn't, I know, it wouldn't I have put no a doubt. dent in the ratings. I have no doubt that millions of people have, wa- have, have, have owned and read these books, but 100 million people are watching television series. Yeah. Um. So I, I just don't think that um, I just don't think that that legally you can make that work, and also the fact that the book like legions of book readers swore that they would never watch the show back in in, in season five, <laughs> ridiculous, and yet the Song of Ice and Fire Reddit has quadrupled in size, and I don't see anybody that po- cop that, that starts a thread and say, "Hey, just want to let you know that I'm still holding strong." Like it's just <laughs> right. That's not human nature. But look at the leaks. How many people? Read the leaks and spoilers, knowing it's going to adversely affect their enjoyment of the show, but they can't fucking help themselves. Yeah. So, 
Uh, Rob, as unsatisfying as it would be, is there any possible way that Arya died back in Essos? Uh, and could this be Jack and Hagar, another faceless man, using Arya's face to kill the waif uh, and beyond? No, I don't. I think mean, so. is there any? Is it possible? No, it's not. It's possible. It's not plausible. It's not like. Yeah, I I can't imagine. Like if they tried to pull that. Yeah, I. It's just. Think about how stupid you'll feel after you watched our fake Arya fake reconcile with her fake sister. And bond over their father, like not. I mean, like it would just like. And, and why do the why does the House of Black and White give a shit? Right. Why do they want to be in Westeros? Why do they want to go to Winterfell? Why like there they... might be a plot where the 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 House of Black and White. Like, there's a lot of theories to be had here. Like, is Arya actually serving the God of Death by doing all this killing? Is is the is is Jacken kind of a radical? Like, is he going to come or, or the, is is there going to be faceless men that try to come after Arya for forsaking their ways? Like, I don't know, right. but like her but being if, wholesale replaced, no yeah. fucking way. If Arya dies in Essos, there's no need for them to come to Westeros. Yeah, I just don't. I I just don't. And he he, he has a couple of evidence here about uh, one of them was that. Um, it explains the strange power plays with Sansa and Nymeria's reaction to her. Man, if that's not really Arya, Nymeria just rips her in half. Yeah. Like, the only th- way she walks away from that is because N- Nymeria remembered her and had some sort of affection for her. Yeah. So, like, I think that's against evidence it. against, unless yeah. you think a dire wolf can be full, fooled by the faceless men's magic. Mm-hmm. And now we're just, you know, just making shit up, so... Let's move on. Danielle V, I want to pose a question for you. We learned in Episode 7 that Robert's Rebellion was based on a lie. Does the book leave any breadcrumbs about who might have started the lie? Did Ned know that Lyanna actually wasn't kidnapped and raped? What about Varys? I'm I'm not sure where he would have been at the time, but it seems like a narrative uh, he would have pushed to ensure the Mad King would be overthrown. Not asking for fan fiction. I'm just curious, in the light of what we know, does any hints of the book stand out in hindsight? So um, as as someone who doesn't know if there might be details to clarify this, I've always kind of assumed that it was sort of a people's rumor, like yeah. like Cersei's trying to say, you know, uh, about about uh, Joffrey's birth, yeah, or Joffrey's father. I mean, there's lots of hints that the official story is not true. Like people, the like for example, Ned's inner monologues. Uh, it's not like he thinks about. Uh, Rhaegar a lot, but the times his thoughts do touch on Rhaegar, it's not like that son of a bitch who kidnapped and raped my sister. Yeah. He always thinks of him as kind of like, you know, like in a sympathetic light, and that doesn't jibe with what we would think Ned would think if 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 he thought his sister was brutalized by this man. Yeah. People respect, like, Sir Barristan Selmy has a circumspect thought on their relationship as he t- communicates it to Danny and you know, as we see a little bit of that in the show, and I think you're right. I think that Varys and Littlefinger probably know the score, but there's absolutely no telling Bobby B that he wasn't true blue for Lyanna and she. I mean, you know, they're they're political creatures and they know like what would be the point of perf- of, of of putting that out there with the king that they served, and also we've never gotten <laughs> a Varys or Littlefinger POV chapter. So oh, well, I think I, some of this yeah. stuff in later hmm. seasons where Littlefinger's dropping hints, like that might be stuff that we see happen in the books. But I I already think there's enough evidence that a lot of thinking fans, I mean, that's this is one of the pillars of the R plus L equals J theory, is that why, you know, why when Ned has a chance to think about Rhaegar in a situation, does he think of it in this light? Why does Barristan sell me kind of like, hey, you know, not so fast about the 
you know, the, with, uh, that's 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 one of the evidences that people put. So yeah, it's there, but it's not you know obviously brand coming and saying it's all based yeah. on a lie, right? Which is kind of a half truth anyway. Um, <laughs> the Mad King was going to Mad King. It's just a matter of who called their banners over what odious provocation. Hmm. So. Let's move on. Jason L., about halfway through your Season 7 wrap-up episode, you covered a listener question about Jamie's decision to leave King's Landing. In true bald move fashion, speculation and discussion about Jamie's motivations followed, and at one point a speculative question was thrown out about Jamie's past history with Dorne. While the question was quickly dismissed, it struck me as something that set my mind off regarding the Dornish plot in general and some rough ideas for Season 8. Jamie has become a leading battlefield general, but I don't know if I see Team Stark soldiers fighting for him. However, there's an untouched army hinted at in Season 7 from Dorne. The only show characters with any relation to Dorne plot are Jamie and Bronn and Varys. And I'm going to consolidate the rest of his points. Essentially, Jamie goes and gets the army. Well, (laughs) one of the things that Bronn said in Season 1 is like when he's talking about the Eerie and it's said to be impregnable. Oh, give me 20 good men. I'll impregnate the bitch. (laughs) There's never, never, like Bronn has showed his qualities in many ways, but never that. A stronghold such as the Red Keep that is holding Ilaria Sand, mm-hmm. who is probably still alive, next to the moldering corpse of her daughter. Like, what if uh, Jamie sends Braun to infiltrate, steal her, take her back to Dorne, and now you've got this fresh army to rally around this incredibly vengeance-seeking character now? That would be fucking rad. That's that's a great way to use their shared history with Dorne. <laughs> Talk about a shaky alliance. I mean, this woman did kill his daughter, right? Yeah, but, like, I think Jamie's all in on this is the biggest fight of our time. Like, I'm ready to make all bygones. Yeah, 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 because this is our survival we're talking about. Everything else we can figure out later. I don't know. Yeah, I could maybe see that. It's it would be exciting as hell to see Bran break into the Red Keep and steal her. It'd be gratifying to see Ilaria lead all of Dorne uh, against Cersei and get her revenge on her. Yeah, um, it it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I hope this isn't some leaked <laughs> that the, like that does come out in in September of 2017 about something that's probably going to come out in 2019. But right, this, I don't think the script has been written yet. So <laughs> no, it has. It has. It's been the H- not all of it. I thought they were just starting writing. No, like... they, they all the scripts have been handed in. They haven't broke them yet. Oh fuck. So okay. uh, either way, hell of a good idea, Jason. Mm-hmm. I, I I like that a lot. Uh, Bryce B, did it ever occur to you guys that Cersei committed to helping Danny and John because Tyrion promised her that her newborn child would be the next in succession to sit the Iron Throne? In previous episodes, Tyrion tries. <laughs> but wait, then, then she says, "Hey, all of that stuff that I told Tyrion and Danny is bullshit, and we're actually not going to do the thing we said we're going to do. Therefore, jeopardizing her son's future." Like, yeah, no, she wasn't convinced. It she makes, was not convinced. It makes Tyrion a traitor to Danny because he doesn't have the authority to bro like. I mean that that Danny would burn him alive, yeah. rightfully so. I mean, does he think Danny's going to lose this battle against the White Walkers? He might. I don't think he does. I don't think he does. I, I think he's true blue. I think. I think if he's I mean, a traitor, maybe he thinks with my help she might lose. I, I think. I think if he's a traitor, it's going to be a subconscious one that he like. What people said about the fact that he just loves his family at the end of the day is is straight on, and he is unknowingly 
giving Danny advice that's not the thing that he would do if he was against a, a foe that he's completely dispassionate about. Right. I don't think that's likely. But I, I don't know how far that love extends. Does it extend to Cersei? Because Jesus Christ, she's been an unholy bitch to him the entire the entirety of his life. It certainly extends to Jamie. Yeah. And that's the I thing agree like with that. if if Jamie gets back to the north and him and Tyrion reconcile, then there's no fucking way that that Tyrion's a spy. <laughs> I think it's much more likely that Varys is trying to play both sides because he's he's genuinely and probably rightfully afraid of Danny and he wants to make sure that he's got a, some form of power over her in case she goes mad queen. Yeah. Hmm. Um but yeah, she the, I don't know. I I just don't I don't think that's what happened there. Right, right, and that's just, yeah. It's like it doesn't seem to make sense from either angle. So sorry, um, I, 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 I don't don't subscribe to that theory, Bryce. Uh, Eric, well, thematically, it makes a lot of sense that John will be Rhaegar's Rhaegal's dragon rider. My question is whether it's actually a good strategy. John is a king, North, arguably the best swordsman in Westeros, and the owner of a Valerian steel blade. Having him ride a dragon takes away these advantages. Assuming he does ride Rhaegal. I can see a Mission Impossible sequence where he jumps off Rhaegal in midair to take out the Night's King and Viserion in a kamikaze fashion. That'd be kind of fucking badass. Uh, also, Theon should have died on that beach. It would have been a fitting into his arc. He th- fought to regain his honor and lost. No, never. I never. Think, Tyrion will never die. I think him dying <laughs> would have been okay and if it if it then inspired his men to go back and do what's right by Asha. But knowing the Greyjoys like I do, I don't think it would have worked. Yeah, I, I really like last week how we got to an appreciation oh. of this plot. Did you did you say Theon? Yeah, what you think? Theon. I, I thought you said Tyrion. Oh, yeah. Theon can die anytime. That's fine by me. No, no, no Theon. I thought it was a good scene, but yeah. Um, what do you think about the John jumping off, like air to air dragon fighting? Sure, hopping I can see from dragon to dragon. This shows the, the ceiling for spectacle is like Empire State Building. Yeah, I think you have him jump from one dragon to try and jump on. The, the White Walker's dragon mm-hmm. to take it out as a suicide mission. Mm-hmm. The White Walker dragon uh, zooms out of the way. You get another dragon swooping under <laughs> to catch John. It's just this... Essentially... Rube Goldberg <laughs> yeah. dragon contraption. Right. <laughs> John's being bounced around like a pinball dragon to dragon. Uh, Alex F., I got an idea. The final scene we pan out back and back and back through the cosmos, through the universe, until we see one giant blue eye, George R. Martin himself. This is based on a quote from the first season, I think, where Rob says, talking about old Nan, one time she told me the sky is blue because we live inside the eye of a blue-eyed giant named McCumber. (laughs) And then in season four, Oberon repeats that as a way to like, yeah, some people think we live in the blue eyeball of a giant. Uh, the problem with this is, number one, the balls it would take yeah. to do some kind of meta thing at the end. Like, Game of Thrones would have to have an immense well of of of, of fan love and a, an ironclad notion that they are ending this story in the best way possible to pull off something like that. Yeah. Like, like suck a fucking men in black. You, you, the, our universe is some marbles that some fucking aliens are playing. And the, the biggest problem is George R. Martin's not blue-eyed. No? I looked it up. I thought he was, but he actually has eyes as brown as the day is long. Hmm. Here's what you do. I've got I've got your end scene that satisfies all those requirements. Okay. Uh, so you do... You have whatever conclusion it's going to come to happen, and then you skip ahead in time to the old man that is Sam, 
and he's writing the Game of Thrones story, the Song of Ice and Fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you zoom into his eye, and then you zoom back out, and it's George Martin. And yeah. and, and he's he's reading as he's writing, and the voice morphs from Sam to George. Mm-hmm. The eye changes from blue to brown. Yeah. And then you pull out, and you see this fucking suspender, suspender-wearing, uh-huh. cap-wielding guy. Just writing furiously at a desk. I, I like the or, idea, or finishing it and putting away his ink, yeah. his feather tip. Pin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I like the idea of George Martin in universe playing a maester that's an old version of Sam. Like I, I would okay. like a dissolve from. But it's got to be in universe. Yeah, like like you could see J- Sam writing the prologue for a Game of Thrones about mm-hmm. you know the the manderly the manderly boy <laughs> Is that going a into on the how haunted. long it's taken him to write it. Yeah, and then it dissolves into him as an old maester, like putting the, like the finishing touches on an epilogue of a Dream of Spring. I think yeah. that would I, I would. You know, I've I've got a lot of complex feelings about George Martin and his relationship to his fandom. Right, but e- even like I have a lot more effect. I got enough affection that, that would I think that would be fitting and cool, as long as it's in universe. But the problem with it is if he's not finished by that time, like it's just going to seem yeah. like it's mockery. Yeah. So I don't think it's going to happen. It's a damn shame. It's a damn shame. But that because I think that'd be pretty cool. Uh, Isadora, I refuse to believe that Nemerian ghosts will fade into SFX oblivion for season eight. Established at the beginning of the series and steeped in Stark lore, they make the perfect secret weapons for both John and Arya, Arya as they face the Night's King. Catelyn highlights their importance to Rob in a storm of swords. I think perhaps the gods sent them to us. Your father's gods, the old gods of the North. What do you think their end role will be? I don't think we're going to see Nemeria again. Man, I, I think was Nemeria's out. I, we. It would be such spectacle to see some kind of giant wolf army led by Direwolf doing, yeah, doing. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just like Cersei's trying to escape from the King's Landing in advance of the invading hordes, and she's through to the Riverlands, and the Myria's mm. pack falls upon her. Like that would be kind of cool. But that's that no; cool, yeah. those are no hands around a pale throat, neither. Right. Yeah. So that falls afoul of the Valonqar prophecy. Yeah. But I, I think we could see Ghost again. I think we, we probably will. will see Ghost again. There's no fucking way we don't see Ghost again. Yeah. Um, and I think Ghost will be important in helping John. Like because if, if if Ghost is going to die, then they should have gone with the Ghost as a refrigerator theory, where John Souls spins a couple yeah. episodes in Ghost's body, and then when he comes back, it, come, it Ghost gives his soul back, and that kills Ghost somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, because if we don't see Ghost again, that, that will be pretty fucking unsatisfying. Um, I don't know what Ghost would do against the Army of the Dead, though. I mean, Summer was pretty badass, but even he he could you know got overrun by a few. Yeah. So maybe Direwolf teeth are like uh, obsidian to White Walkers. <laughs> He's gonna give them an obsidian grill. <laughs> that, that's cool. Uh-huh. That would be cool. Like a, like like a Valerian steel muzzle <laughs> that has like swords or daggers or some shit yeah. coming out of it. It's like like I'm now I'm seeing like a Valerian steel dog cone, <laughs> like you put after you get, you get your dog fixed or something. Yep. All right, moving on. Tyler M. I just had a thought. What if the Valencar prophecy that says little brother actually alludes to the second sons? A second son would be defa- by default be a little brother, so maybe the prophecy actually points to Dario choking out Cersei after flipping from the Golden Company. It may not be the best take, but it would fulfill the prophecy. Hmm. You know, second son, interesting. Yeah, no, like Dario used to be a leading contender for the the because he's he doesn't have much relevance to Cersei, but he does have the fact that he's literally 
you know, this the shadowy character from an outfit called the Second Sons. There might He's also a little... the second actor to portray that character. <laughs> I mean, there is a little bit of Valen, pure Valencia, Valencaricia juice to be squeezed from him. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, I, yeah, something I was surprised that Kim is a big person in favor of Dario coming back, heading the Golden Company hmm. to do. But I mean, because to me. If he loves Danny, he's going to sit there and do what she commanded him to do. If he doesn't love Danny, then he's going to eventually get bored and fuck off. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's the case, then him riding at the head of the Golden Company, he wouldn't be fighting for Danny. He'd be fighting against her. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan of that theory. And that's okay. I mean, unless you combine that with the idea that Cersei's going to get the Golden Company only to be betrayed by them. I mean, I do think that will happen. Yeah. But the Golden Company are not second sons, so then yeah. you've got you've lost the, the pure Valencia. But it's led by squeezed. the the second son, the second Dario. son of Dario. Yeah, I still I don't see what narrative like. And mm-hmm. also, and this is a bias you need to be aware of. Characters I don't like, I have blind spots to. Like I was the one <laughs> sure. saying, no fucking way. Euron's gonna come back. There's no fucking way the Greyjoy plots are gonna come back. There's no and and I've been been binging. Not that I didn't like binging. I just didn't think it's going anywhere. So like I mm-hmm. I have a bias towards not seeing the things I don't want to see. So I could very yeah, easily does. be wrong. But all I can do is tell you my opinion and, and give you enough information about biases. You can tell whether I'm full of shit or not. Yeah. Uh, and that's a podcast for the week, Jim. Cool. That's uh, fun. We will be back again for uh, our, our combined episode rewatch and spoiler podcast next week when we consider the second episode of the second season, which is called, I'm not even sure. That's it's not important. what it's called. It's not important because we'll have the title ready for to go when we come back. We will. You will know it in the first opening seconds. Yeah. So uh, look forward to seeing you there. Of course, you can send in feedback to Game of Thrones at baldmove.com or go on forums.baldmove.com if you want to see what the, your fellow fans have to say about the episode and their rewatch and Game of Thrones in general. Uh, and we will see you next week. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.